I wonder if we could turn in our Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis chapter 35 this time. Genesis chapter 35, and we'll read from the first verse of the chapter. Genesis chapter 35, and beginning our reading at verse 1 of the chapter. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods that were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which is by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El, El, Bethel, or El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel, under an oak, and the name of it was called Alan Bekuth. And God appeared unto Jacob again, and he came out of Padnaram, and he blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abram and Isaac to thee, I will give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up after him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon, and Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just bow in another word of prayer. Our loving and our gracious God, we think of the name El Bethel, the God of the house of God. And we pray that thou wouldst be the God of this house of God. We'd ask that thou wast draw near to us and bless us, even as we wait upon thee today. O God, that thy voice might be heard in the midst, and that thou wouldst speak to us as we wait upon thee and as we worship thee today. For it's in Jesus' precious name I would ask these things. Amen. Amen. In Genesis 35, God gives a command here in verse 1 to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee 
when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Now we've been looking at Jacob, and the last time that we looked at him, we saw that he had uh, drawn back. Remember, he was on the road to Canaan. He was on the road that God had set him on. God had called him, come back to the place where I met with you. And he was on the road to Bethel. And then you remember how Esau had met him with the 400 men. And after that encounter with Esau, he had turned back and he had sojourned in Succoth, first of all, and then in Shechem. And in that place, really, Jacob had gone on the, back, uh, the, uh, the way of backsliding, on the path of backsliding. God had promised him. He said, I, I am the Lord God of Abram, thy father, the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and to thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again unto this land. That's the first time that God had met Jacob at Bethel. You remember how that uh, when he had been fleeing from home and from Esau, that God had met him there in Bethel, and he was to go back to that place. And now, after many years, here he is on the road, but he has turned back. He has become backslidden. He has uh, begun to get involved with the idolatry of the land and with the people of the land. And we saw the consequences of that last time. Remember how that Dinah, his daughter, had been taken and been sexually assaulted, and how they and her brothers, in order to revenge what had been done to their sister, had murdered the men of Shechem. And we find that it had come to the place where the name of Jacob stunk in the uh, nostrils of the people of the land. If you look at Genesis chapter 34 and verse 30, Jacob says to his sons, Ye have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. So Jacob is a fearful here that the very promise of God is going to be thwarted. He thinks that he's in such danger that the inhabitants of the land are going to come and slay him and his house, and he doesn't think about the promise that God has given him, that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed, that God was going to bring nations out of his loins. He forgets about all of that. He forgets about the promise of God. In the midst of his backsliding, he has forgotten about the mighty God who had been with him in Bethel before and had safeguarded him against Esau in times gone by and safeguarded him against the inhabitants of Luz in times gone by. And now here he is, fearful, afraid of what is going to take place. And it is then that God steps in and God says, Arise, go up to Bethel. Go to the place where I met you before. Go to the place where I said I would protect you. Go to the place where I was with you in times gone by. Go to that place. 
And we've said that we have been tracing the way that God has been working in the life of Jacob. God has been uh, honing his servant and molding his servant. And God has been uh, knocking the edges off his servant. And God has been fashioning into something that he wanted him to be. And we've said that that is a process. As it says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 28 and verse 18, the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. And that's the process that God has in every one of our lives. He is constantly working on us. We're a work in progress. He is constantly bringing circumstances into our lives, bringing us into places, and he is bringing trials into our lives in order to uh, mold us and to shape us and to make us into something that he wants us to be. So it's very interesting and it is very useful for us to trace this process in the life of this great patriarch, Jacob. And as we look at him, we can see the way many times that God is working in our own lives. So I want us just to think about Jacob here as he comes to Bethel again. And he's going to rely, and God's going to teach him to rely less and less on himself and more and more on the Lord. So let's just look here at the road back to Bethel again. And first of all, I want you to see the return of Jacob. God has said to him, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Jacob, as we said, had been doing that which is right in his own eyes. And he has been in a wayward path. And he's got mixed up with idolatry. He's grown cold towards God and the things of God. And how often that happens in our own lives. Oh, there he was. He was on the road to Bethel. He, was, he had left Padnaram. He was on the road that brought him to the place where God wanted him to be. And suddenly something happens. He's diverted. And he gets into Succoth and then into Shechem. And then he heads downhill again. And how often that happens in our own lives. You know, we can be walking so well with God. We can be uh, in the place of prayer. We can be in that place where we're serving the Lord. And we're interested in the things of God. And we're doing what we can for God. And then suddenly something happens. Maybe it's not very much at all. Something just gets us diverted. Or we get a new project that we're doing and it takes away our time and takes away our efforts and we uh, focus upon that thing. And before very long, we have grown cold. Isn't that the way it happens? Isn't it just like Jacob? And it is then that God has to step into our lives. And sometimes God just has to come and speak through his word. And I want you to see the word that God gives to Jacob here in verse 1. It's a direct command. Go up to Bethel. And it's very clear. It's very direct. Uh, go to God. Go uh, to the place where you met with God in the past. Go to the place where God had dealings with you in the past. Go to the place where you heard from God in the past. Isn't that what God wants us to do? Get back to the place where we are serving him. Get back to the place where we hear his word. And he says, go up to Bethel. And it was physically up. Bethel was a thousand feet higher than Shechem. 
But he was also spiritually up. He wanted to climb higher. He wanted him to go higher. I'm going higher. Yes, higher each day. I'm going higher to stay. Over the sea and beyond the blue skies. Going where none ever seconds or dies. Loved ones we'll meet in the sweet by and by. I'm going higher someday. And we're going higher in that sense. But we also need to be on the road that's leading us higher. That uh, narrow path that's leading us ever upward. So it's a direct command. But it's also a delightsome command. He says, go to Bethel and dwell there. Now Bethel, to Jacob, was the place where he'd met with God. Uh, He called it the house of God. It was the place where God had spoken to him directly. And God now wants him to go and dwell in that place where he had met with God, where God was meeting with him. And what a wonderful thing. You know, God in his justice might have um, brushed off uh, Jacob and might have dismissed Jacob. Here he was, and he had turned back, and he'd gotten into a place where he wasn't doing what was right, and God might have dismissed him. But no, God says, no, Jacob, I want, I want your fellowship. I want to meet with you. I want to, I want to have communion with you day by day. And isn't this a wonderful, gracious offer? And we think of how God is uh, willing to bring Jacob to that place, and he wants him to dwell there, to be in his presence, to uh, constantly be in that place. And really, God was saying to Jacob, if you'll get up and obey me, I'll forgive your sins. And I'm glad that we have a God who's faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It was a direct command, a delightsome command. But it's also, if we call it a dedication command, God says to him, build there an altar, uh, build there uh, an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fledest from the face of Esau thy brother. And God has reminded him here, he's going to the place that I appeared to you when you fled from Esau, your brother. What's he saying to him? Where I protected you, where where I was there to help you and make there an altar. You, You need to worship God. Oh, here was Jacob and he was scared. He was scared that what his sons had done was going to bring down the wrath of the whole community upon him that the Canaanites were going to rise up and they were going to get together the Perizzites there, he says, in verse 30, and the Canaanites, and they're going to slay me. No, God says, go to the place where I was protected you, and there you're going to worship me. I am going to protect you from Esau's 400 men. I am going to protect you from the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And the first message that God had to Jacob here was to worship. Worship me. Go and build an altar. Isn't that what God wants us to do? The first thing that he wants us to do is to worship him. How often we call our uh, churches the house of God. We refer to this building as the house of God. We We refer to the places where God's people meet together as the house of God. And our worship focuses upon our God as we come into this place. And we need that true worship experience. 
But we need to be people who are dedicated to our worship. We come. We cannot leave the Christ of Calvary. We cannot leave the place where true worship is done, where we enter into the presence of our God. And you'll notice that he had to get up and go there. Worship isn't cheap. He, he had to make the effort to get up out of the place where he had settled himself, and he had to go there. And worship isn't cheap. And if our worship is cheap, it's worth nothing. But if we have to make an effort, if we have to get up and go, if we have to go out in a cold night, or if we have to leave behind uh, the comfort of the home, then God says, go to the place of worship. Don't slip back. Don't count it as nothing. Worship the Lord your God all the days of your life. If you want the blessing of the Holy Spirit of God, if you want God to be in your life, then he says, worship me. So we see the return of Jacob. God says, arise, go to Bethel, dwell there, build there an altar. Worship me in that place. And don't you need to get back to the place of worship? Doesn't worship need to be the very front and center every time as we come as God's people to worship? Don't we need to be there? Because worship is not just giving thanks to God. It is building us up. It is helping us. It is, it is, a, it is growing our roots, as it were. And when we get away from the place of worship, we're not there. Then we're losing out on that opportunity of growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we see, anyway, the return of Jacob. Look also at the Reformation of Jacob. Look at verse 2 of Genesis 35. Here's Jacob, and he's determined now to obey God. But he's not just determined to obey God himself. If you look at verse 2, it says, Then Jacob said unto his household, And to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, And be clean, and change your garments. Now, he's using the authority that God has given him as the head of the household. And you'll notice the control that Jacob showed here. He's going to do that which is right now. And he wants his household, he wants his family to follow him in that. How it's a wonderful thing if you have a father, or if you have a husband who wants to lead his fam family in the place of God. The uh, husband, the father should be leading the home and when he abdicated his leadership in the previous chapters, you'll see the, de the disaster it was when he wasn't uh, commanding his sons, and the sons went off, and they murdered the men in Shechem, and it's obvious that Jacob knew nothing about it, and they hadn't brought it to Jacob, and he had lost control of his home. And what a disaster that was. There was waywardness. There were problems. They got themselves into trouble. But now Jacob is going to control, and he says, we're going to Bethel. We're going to the house of God. We're going to go there. And not only do you see the control Jacob showed, but look at the clear out Jacob did. He said, put away the strange gods that are among you. What's he talking about there? Well, have you forgotten that uh, Rachel had stolen her father's gods and there they were, there would have been gods in Shechem. They would have been counted like lucky charms. 
They were a man-made insurance policy, if you put it like that. And God says, no, you're not going to trust in these devices. Jacob looks them all in the eye, eyeball to eyeball. He says, we're going to do a little bit of housekeeping here. You've got to get rid of your strange gods. You've got to get rid of the earrings, and you're going to give them to me, and we're going to bury them. We're going to utterly destroy them. In case you have a temptation to get back to them, we're going to bury them. We're going to have done with all of these things. And this is what the Lord wants. He says, put away the strange gods that are among you. Maybe there are things that have become an idol to you, things that have taken up your time and taken up your talents when you should have been serving the Lord. You've been in places where God's house was opened and uh, maybe they're legitimate and there's nothing wrong with the places you've been. But nevertheless, you have uh, allowed those things to take you away from the worship of God. And then notice the cleansing Jacob ensured. He said, be clean. Now, this involves some baths. Now, some, many of the commentators will speak about ritual cleansing, and there is that. I'm sure there was that. You remember how that in the, when Moses gave the law later on, that when the priests were to come into the temple, there was to be cleansing. They were to cleanse themselves. But I think also there is the thought of just taking a bath. There's just the thought of washing themselves, being clean. Maybe some of you remember, I do, when uh, you were coming to church that your mom or dad made sure that you were clean, made sure that the shoes were cleaned on the Sunday night and made sure that you were spick and span. And there is that sense of that. You know, so today many people will come to uh, church in any old way, um, just any old way of going. But I want you to see that there is that sense here, there is the sense, you can see it, that God is concerned about the outward appearance. Notice what else he said, change your garments, put on different clothes. In preparation for moving to Bethel, they had to change their clothes. Now, years ago, a church maybe would have had the problem of being a dress parade, and that's one problem. But now sometimes we have the opposite problem. People come modestly, dress sloppily to the place of worship. Uh, well, I want you to see that God gave these commands to Jacob, he says, he says, be clean, cleanse yourself, be clean, change your garments. Why did God say that? He must have said that for some reason. God is concerned, and many people think, well, we can't make dictation, and people will say, I'm a legalist, uh, because I say things like that. But I want you to see that God is concerned about what we wear and how we are as we come to the worship of God. And Jacob's looking at his family here, and he wants his family to serve the Lord. He's teaching them. He, 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 is, he is leading them here into the way that he wants them to go. And they did exactly as Jacob commanded. They 
took away the foreign gods. They handed over and they buried the whole things under an oak in Shechem. The Bible says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to pluck it from thy throne and worship only thee. Oh, if there's anything in our lives, we need to get rid of it, exterminate it. You'll not regret it in 900 years' time or 1,000 years' time or 10,000 years' time. You're not going to regret that you served the Lord. Put away that love of money or that uh, desire for reputation or comfort. But we, we need a certain amount. We, we're not going to destroy our reputation in that sense. But if that's all that we're looking for, then we need to make sure that we have done with those things. So we notice here the, uh, the uh, re- reformation of Jacob. But then I want you to see the reinforcement of Jacob. Now, here's Jacob, and he is arising to go to Bethel. As we say, he is concerned about the Canaanites. If you look at verse 30, he says to his sons, you have troubled me, verse 30 of chapter 34, you have troubled me to make me distinct among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. So here he is, and he's afraid. But God says, arise, go to Bethel. And as he said, when thou, uh, where that I appear unto thee, when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother, God's reminded him, I kept you there. I kept you there. And you'll notice what happens now. As soon as Jacob is obedient to that, if you look at verse 5 of chapter 35, what happened? It says, And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. The terror of God. The terror of God was upon the cities. Purity brings power. Jacob got his household uh, riddled with idols as it would, and he got them cleaned up, and he got their garments on, new garments, all stressing the purity here. And Jacob now has power over the enemy. These lands didn't know the God, or probably knew very little about the God of Jacob, but there's a fear of God. They're not going to attack because there's a fear of God a terror of God upon them. And as they get up with their flocks and their herds and all the rest of them, even the weakest of them, you'll read about Deborah, Rebecca's nurse died on the road, so she was very weak, and yet God protected them all. God protected them all. And God comes here and reinforces the God, or reinforces Jacob, and is there as his protector. And when we follow God and when we're obedient to God, then God takes care of all the rest. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And later on, when the descendants of Jacob entered into the land of Canaan, remember that they attacked Jericho, and Jericho trembled before them. And as long as they were obedient to God, there was a fear of God upon them. 
the, the, the devils feared and fled when they, were, uh, uh, when they were obedient to God. You remember when the judgment fell upon Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, that a fear fell on the church. And the world saw what was taking place. And there was a fear. And when we worship God, then the world will fear. They'll not mock us. They'll not take us uh, lightly and dismiss us. They will uh, realize that we are serving the mighty God. And you'll notice that Jacob calls the place El Bethel. Look at verse 7. He says, he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, which means the God of the house of God. Now, before he had called it Bethel, the house of God, because he had met with God there. But now he's more concerned about the God of the place, not just the place, but he is concerned about the God of the house of God. You know, we can come to the house of God but we need to meet the God of the house of God. We need to meet our God here in this place. And the point of Bethel was not that it was a sacred place, but that God was there. God was there. And when we come to church, in a sense, I suppose it's a sacred place, but the thing that we want to meet is that we want to meet with our God. We want to meet with our God. But you'll notice that even... When he met with his God, it says in the very next verse, verse 8, But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alan Bukuth, which is the oak of weeping. That's the meaning of that. So there he was in Bethel. He'd come to Bethel, and God gives this detail about Deborah, Rebekah's nurse. Now, Rebekah or Deborah must have been quite old. She had been a faithful servant in the house for at least 150 years. And she'd served, she had served Rebecca for a number of years, and probably then when Rebecca had died, she'd come to be with Jacob and his household. And the name Alan Bukuth is the Oak of Weeping, and it indicates that Jacob must have wept there at that place is the oak of weeping. But why is this here? Why is this? Now Jacob has got to Bethel. And when he gets to Bethel, there's a death. Doesn't it remind us that in this old world in which we live, there is still the sorrow and there is still the weeping. And we, uh, our eyes are drawn heavenwards here. It's the God of the house of God. But even in the midst of it, there's the weeping. And here's Jacob, and he might have trusted in his own cleverness. Now that he's got to Bethel, it all will go well. And yet, in the midst of it, still there are the stresses, and still there are the strains. Notice something else here. Look at the revelation to Jacob. Look at verses 9 to 13. It says, And God appeared unto Jacob again, and he came out of Padnaram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. And kings shall come out of thy loins. 
and the land which I gave Abram Isaac to thee, I will give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And I want you to see some things about this revelation. Now, he's been reminded of death here, but now God appears to him, verse 9. God appeared unto Jacob again. Now, this is the last appearance of God in this form. God appears. He had appeared to Abram. He had appeared to Isaac. This is the last time that God appears directly to any of the patriarchs. This is the last time, actually, in the Bible, um, except, well, except, uh, I suppose, where uh, God came in, in visions. But in this direct form, God appeared. This is the last time that God does this. And look at verse 13. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. God went up. God went up. And never to talk with him in this way again. There is henceforth a shift in the revelation in the Bible. The primary mode of revelation in the days of uh, Jacob, or uh, Joseph rather, was by dreams. So this is the last time that God appears directly to any of his servants like this. But look at the features of the revelation. He says, I am God Almighty. Jacob had not known that particular name before. But my, what a wonderful truth. As God says, I'm the Almighty God. I am the God whose might cannot be stemmed. I am the God whose might cannot in any way be diminished. I am the God whose might cannot be defeated. I am the God Almighty. And it is God Almighty who comes on Jacob's behalf here, the omnipotent God, the mighty God of heaven. And my, his almightiness is something that we need to know in this day and generation. We often forget it, like Jacob forgot it, but he is God Almighty. Look to it, the fullness of the revelation. It's really a repetition if you look there in the verses. You'll see that there, if you were to compare it with God's giving of the covenant to Abraham, that there are many of the same features here. There's a name change. God changed the name of Abram to Abraham, and now he does it, Jacob, to Israel. There is a promise of a king that will come out of his body, and both uh, cases, that they are to be fruitful and multiply uh, in both cases. There is a promise of a company of nations in both cases, that in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So it is the same covenant promise. It's just a reiteration of the covenant promise to this man that God is going to send a seed, is going to send a savior, is going to send one who will be the redeemer, who will be the savior of men. What a wonderful promise this is that is given to Jacob here in this portion of scripture. It is the mighty covenant promise that we stand on today. We're in the covenant of God. We have been brought in. We are of the company of nations. And thank God today that we have been brought in. But then look at the forename given at the Revelation. We think of that name there, Jacob, and it has the connotation of a deceiver, a supplanter. 
But now God is changing the name to Israel, Prince with God or Prince of God. One of the, uh, it can mean either of those, Prince of God or Prince with God. And here he is, and he's been changed by the grace of God. And you know, God looks upon Jacob, and he says, the name that was given to you was Jacob, but I'm not calling you Jacob, I'm calling you Israel. After all that Jacob had done, after all the backsliding that Jacob had done, after all of the waywardness that Jacob had entered into, I am, God comes with this grace and says, I'm, call, I'm not calling you Jacob, I'm calling you Israel. I'm calling you a prince with God. You know, we, we could identify with the name sinner. We are sinners. We are sinners in the sight of a holy God. But I'm glad today that God does not look upon us as sinners. He looks upon us as princes and heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I'm glad today that my Savior died on the cross and defeated uh, sin and hell and the grave. And he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we understand the sinfulness of sin, but he has made a way by which our sin can be dealt with. There's mercy with the Lord today. And we think of the mercy there was at Golgotha's brow. Oh, what a wonderful thing. God has made us princes, kings. Uh, we are made kings and princes in the house of our God. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And there you see the end for Jacob. He is now Israel. I was thinking that this was the last of the series, but it just didn't turn out to be the last. There's another one to come. We'll do it after we come back. But my, what a change has been wrought in the heart of this man. God has changed him. God has made this process in his life, and God is changing you and me. And maybe as we look back across our lives, and maybe even look at the events that have surrounded the past number of days, you can see the way that God has been working in your life. He is bringing you to that place where you'll be able to be with him throughout the countless eons of eternity. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just bow in a wee word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank thee for thy precious word to our hearts afresh today. We thank thee for the uh, way that thou dost work in the life of Jacob. We do thank thee for uh, bringing him to be in that position where he was a prince with God, a prince of God. And, O oh God, we thank thee that thou hast made us princes of the heavenly kingdom. O oh God, we do rejoice in thee today. Bless thy word, write it upon our hearts, and be with us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Can we sing a few verses of the hymn 380? When this passing world is done, when has sunk yon radiant sun? When I stand with Christ on high, looking o'er life's history, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much 
I owe. We'll sing the first uh, two verses of this hymn. We'll stand as we sing. our homes in safety and watch over us throughout this day and bless our worshiping of thyself for Jesus' sake. Amen.